0: If you'd like to turn to uh, Romans chapter 6 today, that is our uh, target. I I wanted to um, say this morning that my wife Sharon is unable to be here. She's in the hospital uh, today, having been there a couple of nights now, uh, with some severe pain in her head and coming down over the right side of her face. They've been unable to determine what the problem is uh, uh, hereto far, but um, they've ruled out stroke, so that's good, and we appreciate your prayers for her as they look for the source of this uh, extreme discomfort, which has uh, caused her um, a lot of pain. I also wanted to uh, welcome some special people here today because uh, many of you know that During the first service on each Sunday, Sharon and I have the privilege of going to the Ledgestone Retirement Community, which is out 290 behind Trudy's Restaurant, and uh, there's a wonderful facility there, and since August, we've been uh, going there every Sunday and uh, speaking and singing with that group of people, and we have such a wonderful congregation there that many of you haven't had a chance to meet, and Darnell and and Pauline Banks they go with us uh, and partner with us in fact they were there today when I was speaking here and uh, so some of our friends from there have come today uh, five of our friends from Ledgestone Retirement Community are just on the back row uh, front row of the back section here would you welcome them today please with a good <laughs> hand clap <to them. laughs> Uh, A.W. and his wife, Leona, and uh, Helen, and uh, Norma, and Patsy, we so welcome you today and trust that you're enjoying um, this kind of youthful service with loud music, and I warned them ahead of time, they either had to turn down their hearing aids or just put some earplugs in, one or the other, and so we are so happy they came to be with us today and to support me while I'm speaking to you all. So let's have a word of prayer, shall we, over this message. Father, we open our hearts today with the thanksgiving, so grateful for the power of the word of God and its ability to give direction and guidance to our life. And I pray today that you would help us each one to open our hearts to the message of Romans chapter 6, that it will be a strength and guide to us going forward in the days ahead. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. As Pastor Ross has said, we are doing the series, Life in the Balance, and my assignment is Romans chapter 6, which tells us what to do about sin. So the title of my message is, What Shall We Do About Sin? And the text is actually the last verse in verse 23 of Romans chapter 6, which if you haven't memorized it, is a part of the Romans Road. It's an important scripture to memorize. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Rome is almost to the center of the book. And it is rather bringing to conclusion the first portion in which he answers this question, What shall we do about sin? And he goes on from here to talk about some very important ideas in the latter part of the book of Romans. And I have found that the book of Romans is such an important book to know and understand. Because within it are some keys to help us with the interpretation of some sticky questions which arise in the scripture as you may know from time to time. So the Apostle Paul lays some really good groundwork in this book. And if you have not yet made a study of it, as we've been talking about it over these, these last uh, five or six weeks, that you will do that. Get the book out. Get your concordance some commentaries. Do a little study on the book of Romans because it will help you plant your feet on good, solid biblical ground and help you understand many parts about the Scriptures. Well, before I get into these important subjects today, I just wanted to say this one thing. I wanted to clear up that something Pastor Ross said when he began his message last week on Chapter (laughs) 5. Because he gave the illustration of his children, because they have five children, gave the illustration of them sitting around the table and having conflict. And in that illustration, he suggested that it was an illustration of how we are because of our sinful nature. Well, I want you to know that he is calling my grandchildren sinful, and that's totally unacceptable. (laughs) But the truth of the matter is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so I want to talk to you today about what we sometimes face in our society because we face the conjecture in our society that sin is a made-up idea. This word conjecture, I think, is the first word in your fill-in-the-blanks, and the rest will be on the screen. We face the conjecture in our society that sin is this made-up idea by religious people like us who want to bring other people under their control. This is the belief and the understanding of many people in our country and throughout the world, because they do not have a biblical worldview, and they prefer to make up their own gods and ideas about God. Unfortunately, even in the church, this church, among this congregation, we will find... Many who have false concepts or unscriptural concepts about sin, what it is and where it comes from. And so today I wanted to illustrate by uh, this beautiful scale that I've created over here how we sometimes feel about sin. And this candle, this red candle, represents the sin that sometimes we find in our lives and so we We see that it weights us down, and we think, well, I've got to do something about that. I've got to fix that in some way. So what do we do? We go and we find some really good things. We go to church, or maybe we help the poor, and we we off-balance what we've done in our life, thinking that these good deeds over here, represented by the white candle, are going to offset, in God's view what we've done and how we can fix ourselves and make it through and somehow make ourselves pleasing to God. It, it may be your idea that God will look at these things at the end of your life and say, well, I guess that she or he has done a good enough job. They've overcome the bad in their life, so I'll go ahead and let them into my heaven. That's how many people view sin in their life. I want to guarantee you today that if you have this conversation with many of your co-workers, your friends, your neighbors, or even your family members, that it won't take long for you to discover that's how they view the concept of sin and how they're going to deal with it. Because I've done so many bad things, I've got to do so many good things if I ever expect To make it into heaven. But I want you to know that the book of Romans was written to dispel these kind of misconceptions. That we can never do enough good, be good enough to earn God's heaven or his favor. And so we want to clarify today from Romans chapter 6 what God has done about this idea of sin. In his creation. It talks about how if we cooperate with him. About sin. We too can deal with it. As he intended for us to do. And what that is. Is overcoming its power. And putting it in its place. And finally canceling. Its death dwelling. Or, or dealing effects in our life. God has given us the power to put sin in its place. Now in the preceding five chapters that we've studied up to now, there are certain key statements which give us this understanding that God has indeed provided a method for dealing with sin. I'd like to refer to them. But before I do, I want to take these down because some of you are worried that it's going to fall over. There we go. So I want to refer to these five uh, key scriptures, and I'll just go through them very quickly. First, in chapter 1, verse 21, although they knew God, they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 32, those who practice such things are deserving of death. Also, those who approve of those who practice them. Now we have not looked carefully at the latter part of Romans chapter 1, but if you do so you will find there a picture of people who are in sin and degradation and who have reviled God and taken their own ideas of God into their life. This is a picture of the culture we live in, is it not? That if you read chapter one, you will find there something that is very reflective of the culture that you and I live in and that we face every day here in the United States of America. And this gives us a good biblical reason to take a strong stand against sin in ourselves and in others. Because not only are those who are caught up in sin deserving of death, but We who approve of those who practice those sins are just as guilty. And this is a very difficult situation for us to be in. And then in chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Do you think, you who judge those things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Verse 9, On every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greeks. That, God is demonstrating in chapter 2 that there is equality in his judgment, that there is not going to be any favoritism shown upon the basis of our humanity. It is is totally upon another basis which God is going to judge us and deal with this issue of sin in our life. So when he uses this phrase, upon the Jews or the Greeks. It's a phrase that you find fairly often in the New Testament because the Jews, of course, referred to Israel under the Old Covenant up to the time of the cross, and then the Greeks or the Gentiles, that refers to who? Everybody else. So actually he's saying that all of the Jews and all of the rest of the people in the world these are people whom God is going to judge if we allow ourselves to be found in and continue in sin. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 22, the scripture has confined all under sin. All the Jews, all the Greeks, all the Gentiles, all the Russians, all the people from Arkansas. We, we all have been confined Understand, All of us. He didn't leave anyone out there. His equality of judgment is clear in this chapter. So, in chapter 3, he says in verse 9 both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. He comes back and hits it again. He wants to make sure we understand that. And he says in verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no not one. Well, when it says in the New Testament, it is written, where is it written? It has to be written in the Old Testament. So in Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 20, for there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. You can see the same kind of wording in Psalm 14, 3, Psalm 5, 9. It makes up that idea that the Apostle Paul is writing to the Roman church there when he's when he's indicating that there is a group of people who, who are not righteous in the sight of God. But then he switches gears as he moves into chapter 4. Then comes hope. Then comes an opportunity for us to see that there is a way out of the burden of sin which comes over our life in Chapter 4 and verse 5. To him who believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Who is he who justifies the ungodly? It is God himself, is it not? And when we come before God and we believe in him and the one whom he has sent, the Lord Jesus Christ, then our faith is accounted for righteousness. What does that mean? It is written over to our account. Because of our faith, we are righteous in Christ. What a great truth that is. Verse 8 of chapter 4, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Verse 16, it is a faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed now who are the seed i just want you to know it's not the ncaa basketball players who are playing right now you know the third seed plays the sixth seed and i think maybe texas tech was the sixth and they won uh, well, anyway it's not that kind of seed It's a different kind of seed. And because of faith, something happens to us. Those who believe become the seed of Abraham, become the seed with Christ. In fact, that word seed in the original language of Greek is, interestingly enough, the word sperma, which indicates that it is the offspring, if you will, of Abraham. By faith. It is the remnant that the scripture describes of those who come to Christ by faith. So it is according to grace that the promise might be sure, might be sure to all the seed. So we have a comfort understanding and knowing that God has ministered to us in such a great way. Chapter 5, verse uh, 6. Yes, verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 17, one of my favorite scriptures. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life through one Christ Jesus. This is the hope that we have as people who were born in sin and shapen in iniquity. Every one of us who are here have been touched by sin. Not only were we conceived in sin and we, were, we carry the sin of Adam with us into this life, but... As we came to the age of accountability, uh, sin touched our life in one way or another. No one in this room that I'm aware of has been uh, uh, the, the product of the immaculate conception. We're all affected by sin in our life. And so what do we do with that sin? Today, I want you to know that all of us have been equally in trouble with God, but he has a great plan to deal with it. So I want to look at these questions from chapter 6. The Apostle Paul asks three searching questions in this chapter. So let's look at them briefly. Questions which cause us to consider the value of what God has done for us in bringing forth his great plan into the world. These three questions are rhetorical questions, which are asked in order to produce an effect in the hearers. Uh, They have an obvious answer, and so when you hear that question, uh, there is automatically a proper response to answer it, and question one is in verse one of chapter six, when he says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And the obvious question, and Paul speaks resoundingly, no, we should not do that. But then he follows up on his question, as Paul often does, if you notice his writings. He presents the question and the problem, and then he begins to present an argument to support his answer. So looking from verse 2, let's read down through verse 7. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That Christ, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. That, my friend, is some pretty good news right there that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. I brought my own water. Thank you for that break. So he says, we have died to sin. We've been baptized into his death. We were raised from spiritual death by his glory. We should then walk in newness of life. We have been crucified with Christ. We have died and been freed from sin. This is a done deal. Look at the result of this action. Verse 11 and 12. Likewise, you also. Who is he talking to there? He's talking to me. He's talking to me, and he's talking to you. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. When you, when you see that word, therefore, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to look and see what it's there for. You're studying the Bible and it says, therefore, such and such, you have to stop and consider what was just said because based upon this idea and these facts, then this is what you should do. Therefore, he said, do not let sin reign or be in control of, of your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts or in its desires. James chapter 1 and verse 14 uh, says that, that we are uh, <clears throat> tempted when we are drawn away by our own lust. That word lust means our own longing, our own desire. It indicates to us that we as human beings have an infatuation for that which is forbidden. And we are drawn to it. Our responsibility then is in verse 13, do not present your members, your body, soul, and spirit as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present your members, your body, soul, and spirit as instruments of righteousness to God. This is the Christian life. This is what we are supposed to do. We are not supposed to present or give over our body, soul, or spirit to sin, but we give over our body, soul, and spirit to righteousness. That's how you live the Christian life. That's a great story to tell. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 Verse 23, the Apostle writes, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, that you, that, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to ask you, why would God, through the Holy Spirit, allow those words to be penned in Scripture if it were not possible, for you to be sanctified completely and present your spirit, soul, and body blameless at the coming of Jesus. Hmm. Never thought of it that way. So question two, verse 15. Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Shall we sin because we no longer have to attend to the law of the Old Testament, but now we are under the grace of the New Testament or New Covenant? Uh, And the obvious answer again is no. We should not. We should not. Look in verse 16 through 18 for his argument to follow up that question. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves... Slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey. Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that through, that, that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. We are so focused upon our sin. I mean, as Pastor Ross said, I've been doing this for over 50 years, and I have seen many, many people who are burdened down with the load of sin, and they have no ability, seemingly, to unload it. They seem in their mind to be bound to their sin, even though they want to be a Christian. They want to live a godly and a good life. But here is the secret. It's who are you presenting yourself to? Who are you Obeying, whose slave are you, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? You were slaves of sin, yet, that word yet is the transition point. That's the place where all of us who are here today, who are believers of Christ, we came to that place where we said, yet, I will no longer live that way, but I will follow Christ by faith. We made a decision and something was transformed in our life. We became set free from sin that we might be slaves of righteousness. I suggest to you this presents a stark choice that we have as human beings. Will we serve sin, which leads to death, or will we be obedient to his plan, which leads to righteousness and holiness? This is not complex. There is no secret which some have and others do not. You may look at people within this congregation and you might say, well, Matt, he's got it all together. He's a leading worship. He's, he's a godly man. Or Darnell is, is a person who's preached the gospel. Uh, this, these people have it together. Or Alan, these people are, are better than I am and they can handle it more than I am. This is not a complex idea. There is no secret to this, which some have and others do not. You must choose. One last question. The Apostle Paul gives us in chapter 6 and he asks this question question in his argument. Question three is verse 21. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? What fruit did you have in the things of which you are now ashamed? This calls for an evaluation on our part. We have to logically and reasonably look at our life and say, when we were choosing sin, what fruit did I have? What kind of result, what consequence, what harvest, what crop came from me me choosing a life of sin? I want to say, if you're struggling today with choosing sins presently in your life, you may have some enjoyment or pleasure. Hebrews 11.25 said that there is passing pleasures of sin for a season. But Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is clear to say that the end of that choice is death. Our choice is stark, and it's an eternal choice. Verse 22, you have your fruit to holiness, And the end everlasting life or the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Today, we cannot take lightly this idea of sin. We can't just assume that we're going to balance it out with our behaviors. That's not going to work for us in the end. This brings us to our final illustration. And that is of the several Greek words that are used in scripture to describe sin. One of the most frequent is the word hamartia, which means to miss the mark. As one might shoot an arrow at this particular target that's here. And we shoot the arrow and, it, and we miss the bullseye. And then we, we say to ourselves, well, I may not have missed the bullseye, but uh, I'm not that bad, really. At least I hit the target. And we think about our sins that way. We tend to grade ourselves and evaluate and see whether or not we can skate by justify ourselves because of our humanity. I want you to have another conclusion today and that is the great plan that God has given. That is that Jesus is the target. It's not whether or not you can get close enough to the bullseye to be worthy to make it into God's heaven. It is that we need to look to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one whom we look to to receive the full weight of the glory that he has made available to us. We miss the mark by depending upon ourself like this, rather than upon Jesus like this. He is the one who has finally and eternally won the battle over sin. It's Jesus. He is the one who has finally and eternally overcame the enemy. It's Jesus. He is the one who has finally and eternally overcome death. It's Jesus. So he is the target, my friends. You come to Jesus... And you give your life to him by faith. This is what we do with sin. Yeah. Right. We come to Jesus. I'll conclude with this idea. That Pastor Ross gave. At the end of chapter 5 last week. When he said. Where sin grows. Grace explodes. Quoting N.T. Wright. Where Sin grows, grace explodes. In chapter 20 and verse 21 of chapter 5, moreover the law entered that offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we do when sin raises its ugly head? Let grace explode because Christ has already done the work. Christ has already fulfilled everything that's necessary to fulfill. And what we do is we take him into ourselves and we receive the eternal benefit of what he has accomplished and we receive that which he alone can give. So I want to pray with you about that today. Father, I pray for this congregation this morning. What a wonderful privilege it is for us to know the truth of your word, to understand that you have already equipped us, given us everything that's necessary to deal with sin, and we do not have to be bound by it. We do not have to suffer its death. We can experience life in Christ, eternal life, now and ever after. So I pray today that you would illuminate our minds, help us to understand the full measure of the gift that you've given to us and cause us to come by faith to you and receive that gift which you have offered so freely and so fully. I pray for those especially who are burdened with sin today, recognizing that even at this very moment or in this last week, they have given in to sins that they have found themselves uh, suffering for and guilty about. But today, Jesus, you have covered those sins. Today, you have forgiven those sins. Today, you have equipped them to overcome those sins. So let it be in their life today in Jesus' name. By the power of the Holy Spirit, that when faced with the choice of sin, they will choose Jesus and let you deal with the issue. Thank you, Father, for helping us. Make it real in our life today. In Jesus' name, amen.